0: Welcome to the Architect of Change show with your host, Connie Whitman of Whitman and Associates. Now, here's Connie. Hi, I'm
1: Connie Whitman, your host, and you're listening to Architect of Change on webtalkradio.net. So glad you're able to join me this week. Alrighty, my motivational quote is by Muhammad Gandhi, and it says, Those who say religion has nothing to do with politics does not know what religion is. You know, you've heard the phrase, history repeats itself. Well, if that's the case, then why do we seem to make the same mistakes over and over throughout time? Is there a key strategy that we're missing? So instead of guessing, for me this is a very complex topic, I have an expert guest who holds a PhD in religious studies and knows about politics and religious long history together. David Lowe, who has been on before, holds an MS and PhD in religious studies, is an author, former adjunct professor, drug counselor, and former juggler, uh, who today does dream work, teaches meditation, and speaks on topics about spirituality and religion. After some powerful meditation experiences, David uh, traveled extensively and visited different uh, religions, Hindu, Buddhist, uh, Jewish, Christianity, etc., and an epiphany happened to him in 2014, which led him to write his first book, Universal Spiritual Philosophy and Practice, The Informal Textbook for Discerning Seekers. His greatest passion is getting people to tune into more profound dimensions of spirituality at both the personal and political levels. So welcome, Dave. Thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show again.
2: Thanks, Connie. It's always an honor to be with you.
1: Yeah, you're like my regular, you know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right, I
1: love it. And we talk about topics that are so foreign to me, but are near and dear, and you're my, my expert, so I always learn something every time we have a show, so I'm excited about that today. Um, now, I know that you gave me some questions for Western religion in general, um, and you want to focus, we're going to focus today on Genesis, right?
2: Right, right. It's a good example. It's probably the best example of a scripture in terms of differing interpretations, which, you know, people are aware of. Um, You know, so if if you're a religious person, this discussion might cause listeners to rethink your own interpretation. If you're not, you can at least understand some of the problems and issues facing those who do want to think through these questions. um, You know, we, we don't want to. There are roughly three different ways of interpreting Genesis. Um, there's lots of area between each of those, but for our purposes today, just three of them. And our, our intention in talking about this is not to denigrate anybody or imply that anyone, that that, that that one person is smarter than the other, but just to raise consciousness about how how interpretations differ and what the consequences of those interpretations are. Yeah, so we'll talk about Genesis. And-
1: and, and, Ray, David, you and I have talked about this before, that the interpretation of whether it's Judaism, Christianity, whatever that we think we're right so when we start to push our views onto others and that's where wars happen and these political upheavals and all of that stuff so um, it's always very fascinating because we know I, I know I teach in my classes that when you have a customer in front of you the three things you never talk about right religion politics and the other one is sex dirty jokes and that kind of thing but religion and politics we have wars that are fought over this stuff so we have to be very uh, cautious so I do always like that it, this is nothing more than a perspective to get people thinking. So the sure. book of Gen, the book of Genesis, the book I can't even speak today. The book of Genesis is the Old Testament. Now you say this is ground zero in the so-called culture wars. What, what do you mean by that?
2: Well, um, it's just the implications of, um, of, of each different interpretation in terms of what has happened politically, um, like you know the whole thing about. Uh, the notion that, well, l- let, me, let me sort of go through um, the basic facts and controversies around it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the G- Genesis, it's the first thing to note about it is it, it's how differently it is understood by different kinds of Christians and Jewish scholars, right? Mm-hmm. So basically, conservative and fundamentalist scholars think that it came from God or through Moses on Mount Sinai, about to, uh, 1,700 years before the birth of Christ. Cause, you know, why? Because that's what the Bible says right so on one basic level those there's there there's no real scholarship there at all they're just accepting it um, uncritically Mm -hmm. mainstream christian and jewish scholars believe it to have been finalized about a thousand years after that sixth seventh century bce so there's a big difference there You know, um, one just takes it literally and just the the Bible says this. That's the way it is. The other group uh, uses historical criticism, archaeological evidence and so forth to deduce otherwise. So that that that's the sort of difference, which, you know, causes tension between scholars and which causes tension uh, between political groups. Ultimately, Um, the other thing is that. In many ways, you know, the Genesis story is a very typical creation story. Um, so it's like there's, 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 there's not that much which is really special about it. It has a lot of structural and literary similarity to, to the nearby older Mesopotamian creation story of Gilgamesh. Okay, it's skewered toward monotheism, but there, are, but there are other influences. So Genesis was not created in a vacuum. You there?
1: Yeah. So, I'm, so the idea of the creationism is that in controversy to evolution.
2: Well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, what I uh, Okay. Well, um, we can talk about that. There, there is a literalist interpretation of Genesis. Okay, which assumes that. God did indeed create the universe in six days. That -hmm. that God worked for six days or six consecutive days, periods of 24 hours each. That's how long it took him. Period. Okay? And so on with the rest of the story. Um, Even with our enormously complex organ systems and biochemistry and all the fossils and all those layers of sentiment and so forth, he still managed to fabricate the universe in six days. And he manufactured us on, on the fifth of those six days. So, um, that's a literal interpretation. A major problem with that, of course, is it, it ignores modern science. Um, and uh, the other problem, with thinking of it, is that its, it's adherents, being literalists, are quite rigid in their thinking. Yeah. Okay. Was lead, leading to conflict and the war on, on on the political level. Okay. Um, you know, lots of examples of that. But just for example, you know, a prime. A foundational tenet of Western civilization, with the notion that Israel was given by God to the Jews. Um, because of that, you know, Israel was, was created, or rather recreated, in 1947. And there's been conflict over there ever since. Why? Because of that biblical injunction. It's profound and meaningful, but also difficult, problematic, when being interpreted literally. You see what I mean?
1: Yeah, absolutely, and that's where a lot of controversy comes from. Then, correct?
2: Right. Sure. Yeah. Because again, okay. although you know it's a foundational thing in Western civilization, Israel exists. It should be given to the Jews. It's for the Jews, and that's why it that's why it was it was recreated, by, by the United Nations and so forth after World War II, leading to all these problems. Um, and Fascinating. So that, yeah, so that's, that's, that's the literal interpretation of Genesis. Okay. Um, the evolutionary way of looking at it is um, basically you can see the creation story in Genesis as a, as a metaphor for astrophysical and later on uh, biological evolution. So at first you have God saying, let there be light. Mm-hmm. Right? That's like the Big Bang and everything. Mm-hmm. Which is accepted by most educated Jewish, Christian, Muslim clergy. It says to be what really happened, just like astronomers say. Okay. Then there's a the vault of heaven and the stars and so forth. And the first few days is pretty basic. God does these acts of division. In the first three days of Genesis which are quite profound philosophically and in some ways scientifically I'm not a full-fledged biblical scholar so we can't go into it but you can roughly metaphorically you, you can roughly metaphorically construe what God does in those first few days mm-hmm. as corresponding to actual stages of the cosmological and geological time as understood by scientists cool. okay yeah so so Genesis is a metaphor for evolution okay and then after that on the fifth and sixth days in Genesis you have God creating the different groups of pla- groups of plant plants and animals in the order in the order that they evolved okay um, so I was a zoology major in college as an undergraduate so you're talking about insects crustaceans mollusks and then amphibians reptiles mammals and so forth um, the Genesis isn't nearly that detailed right but the idea is in this way of interpreting the creation story, it's a metaphor for the fact of evolution.
1: So, so David, it's almost like an outline of what happened more than on day one this happened, day two. It was more of a sequence of events, yes?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. And even cool. though... Even though there's, there's very little detail in Genesis, it's easy enough overall to interpret it metaphorically, if you want to go to as as a rough stage model for creation. Mm-hmm. First mm-hmm. the Big Bang, the stars and planets and galaxies forming, and then later on the Earth forming and the various forms of life arising over the Earth over the eons. Over the super billions and billions of years, so you know, plants, animals, the different phylogenetic progression from, from 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 sea onto land and so forth. And but one thing to note here that does not necessarily include human beings. Okay, the mankind is a special case. So you know, some Jews, Christians, Muslims do think that the place that used to be the Garden of Eden still exists somewhere in the Near East. Okay. Oh, really yeah oh yeah so for them evolution of everything else is okay but humankind is indeed special and was created in god's image okay so they don't believe the idea of 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 mankind descending from other primates (laughs) um so but other jews christians muslims do agree with me in thinking that eden was also mythical so i think the garden of eden was a mythical story Um, And this is one of the basic ways that... So anyway, this is one of the basic ways that theologians have come up with to reconcile religion and science. Okay, very, very basically speaking. Let me say also that the Muslim version of creation is different from the Jewish and Christian, which we can't go into, but the, 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 the literal interpretation of the Muslim version of creation from, from the Quran is much more in accordance, agrees much more with modern science than the Jewish and Christian one does, to his credit.
1: So, so depending on the origins of where the book was written, right, the Genesis story was told, really depends on who the storyteller was.
2: Well, who the storyteller was and what his cultural influences were. Sure. So again, um, the literalist interpretation involves the notion that, you know, the Bible just fell out of the sky, the pure word of God. Okay. Mainstream scholars don't buy that. They're real human beings who wrote this thing. They were subject mm-hmm. to cultural influences like anyone else. Okay. The laws of history, psychology, science, physics were the same back then as they are now. Sure. So, I mean, no, I mean, fundamentalists or really conservative and fundamentalists and literalist scholars don't believe that. There was something different back then. God spoke. God created. God did miracles in a way that He doesn't today. You know, the whole reality setup was in some unfathomable way different. Okay. Um, I don't think so. Most, most mainstream scholars don't think so. But these are legitimate different ways of thinking about the Bible, about Genesis. Um, so, anyway, we've, we've, we've talked about the, uh, the literalist interpretation, which tends to be very rigid, is associated with wars and arguments and so forth, and the book Falling Out of the Sky, no metaphor, all literal thinking, mm-hmm. this, this uh, uh, fantasy notion of, of a reality being totally different back then. Then the evolutionary way of thinking about it, which, is, which takes Genesis to be a metaphor for evolution, evolution being the uniting theory of all biology. Um, and then finally, there's a mystical allegorical way of interpreting Genesis. so we can talk about that you are you ready for that? Are you okay? you have any more questions or, first
1: or no but that yeah I I it was funny because as you were saying the 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 uh, the literal, you know, that the Word of God, it came, you know, out of the sky in the book, right? And then the other one right. is that it was like an outline of what the occurrences were. Um, but, I, you know, I was trying to visually bring myself back to those ancient times. And maybe miracles really did happen, but maybe because somebody had a good immune system and they were able to be, you know, I don't know, leprosy <laughs> or something. Right. So that would be viewed as you know, miraculous and a miracle where maybe they were just wired differently. You know, you know how some people get chicken pox and some people don't. So why? Well, I don't know. That was what Dave, that's where my head went.
2: (laughs) Right, right. Well, I, I I can break off on for just a second and and talk about the gospels for a minute. Um, The um, most scholars think that the miracles of Jesus, most of them were intentionally exaggerated and simplified to appeal to um, someone for really, easy, for ease of clarity and understanding. Mm. Sure. The notion that, you know, somebody can, can turn water into wine right in front of you, or that leprosy can vanish before your eyes. That's, that, that's like very, very in-your-face, obvious, right-up-front miracle. Okay. And that conceivably could have happened, I think, but it's probably far more likely that miracles back then happened the way that they happen today. The average, I mean, if you spend time around spirits, around renowned spiritual masters like I have, it's very, very common for, you know, devotees of of these people to say, to say, you know, that, um, that, um, they had a dream about how their teacher, um, you know, told them, told, told them to go visit. Rather, they have a dream about how their teacher, um, you know, healed them in a dream or something. And then two weeks later, their cancer's gone. Okay. You know, and, of course, the doctors are totally mystified and so forth. That sort of thing happens all the time, right? But it's not, it's, it, it's, it's not, it doesn't make the tabloids. It doesn't get written up in the National Enquirer.
1: Yeah, because that's all hooey. Everybody thinks that's hooey stuff.
2: Right. The stuff back in Jesus' time would have been written up in the National Enquirer. You know, leprosy yeah. vanishing before I rise, a person getting up from the dead, just walking away. Yeah. So most scholars think that that those miracles, miracles were intentionally exaggerated or intentionally simplified in terms of portrayal, for the sake of easy understanding of the Sure, um, sure, you know. sure. So anyway, uh, it, so there's. Wait, uh, you know what? Before you before you
1: shift into the mystical um, uh, section, let's take a quick break, and then when we come back, we'll talk about that third kind of perspective, which is that mystical. Is that is that cool? Sure, absolutely. All right, cool. You
0: got it. It's a shame when you're feeling stuck in your business and you feel like you have nowhere to turn. It's a shame when you slog through long days in your business and you don't get any return. It's a shame when you feel like you can't see the forest for the trees and your business brings you to your knees. Einstein said repeating the same actions over and over won't produce different results. So stop feeling ashamed. Your business and you deserve better. Change that shame into righteous fame. Connie Whitman can tame that shame. Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates will help you to discover your new path, and nothing will ever be the same. Connie's tried-and-true one-on-one coaching sessions will tame that shame so you and your business will not continue in vain. Call Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates today at 732-888-1420. That's 732-888-1420. Or email Connie at WhitmanAssociates.com. Call Connie. Turn that shame into your game. We
1: are back. We are speaking with David Lowe, my regular guest, and we're talking about creation creationism versus evolution, and really Genesis in, in the Old Testament, or Genesis, the book, the book Genesis. So, talk about the mystical component now.
2: Okay, so we've talked about the. Uh... The literalist version we've talked mm-hmm. about, the evolutionary metaphorical version. The mystical version roughly can be summarized this way. You can think of uh, the, uh, the the whole Genesis story as merely allegory. Okay, this is the mystical sense. So do you know what I mean by allegory? No. Okay, it's basically a children's story written up to sort of appeal to one's own sense of morality and reverence, uh, written for entertainment, written also for, for mythical instruction. The children, young people, and a lot of older people learn most effectively if, if what they're being taught is in the context of a fascinating story. Okay, so this is, you know, indigenous tribal life, or life in a traditional society where you, know, you, you, you gather in the village square, you sit with your elders, with your parents, and you learn the history and traditions of your culture. So this is how to understand the Genesis creation story. It doesn't mean it's not profound. For many adults, it is, metaphorically. You listen to these stories under the right conditions, and they cultivate an attitude of reverence and respect for authority. Um, These stories are comforting in that they let you relate to something which which is so vast and and otherwise inconceivable, the creation of the whole universe. How do you understand it? Mm -hmm. How does a five-year-old understand it? you know so you make up a story to account for it and to also communicate with the kid morally and ethically you're getting into his soul and teaching him what it means to listen what it means to be a good obedient human being what it means to you know think of god and to understand your elders to all that stuff to respect your elders all that stuff is implicit in the process of learning you know genesis of learning, you know, the biblical creation story. It's not just about God and religion. It's about communicating culture, communicating oral tradition, Um, and it's something that anyone can relate to at any age. And so mystics think that, you know, basically one story is as good as another. So when it comes to all of the individual religions, which were all of which tell that all of which tell their own stories in different ways, according to their own cultural epochs and languages, and so forth. One's as good as the next. You know, they're all just different stories. And so, um, um, what's important, of course, is the goal: union with God, union, communion with God, and getting closer to your your um, higher spirituality. Mm-hmm. So, so the mystical understanding is is, 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 is just pure allegory a pure children's story a children's myth written for education written for moral instruction written to communicate cultural values and also a religion for your own understanding and your own sense of identity as a cultural group so that's what the mystical understanding of genesis is as far as i know
1: now it's so funny david so funny that you you're talking about this my my son just had a knee surgery so we were watching um A movie Thor, I think it was. You know the the Marvels. You know we're all into the Marvels (laughs) shows. Anyway, we're watching Thor was on demand, and one of. I, and I, you might have to go back if you didn't see the movie. You should. It's uh, you know I like I like the Marvel mysteries. Anyway, he Thor, um, one of the scientists who's saying you know where did this guy come from, what like what's he doing, and he pulls out a children's book out of the library, and it has the big you know uh, hammer you know that Thor has, and it has a picture of Thor from another world and all of this other dimension, and it's a children's book, and one of the scientists who's the female who falls in love with Thor um, is saying I don't. I, I think there's something here and the scientist is like are you out of your mind it's a children's book like look at it. it's in a children's book and yet of course then the show progresses to say that Thor is real he's from a different dimension uh, within our universe so I love that mystical allegory that you said because that's kind of the 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 Uh, simple simplicity to make everybody understand so that it just again that's what popped into the simpleton's mind over here Uh, but I I think it validates what you're saying that when we make something simple more people can understand so I, I that made sense
2: Right. And, of course, any really popular movie like that, if you really look closely at it, you'll find some theme, some metaphor or point or part where it it makes an intentional effort to appeal to the heart of the viewer through some mythical metaphor just like that. Yeah. And that's where it's at. And, of course, the whole dilemma connected with religion is that as you grow up, you have to reinterpret these things more metaphorically. And more mystically, because you grew up thinking about it literally, you know. But you have to reinterpret it as you grow up. If you don't, you run into problems with reality. Um, do
1: Do you think, as people age, David, that they start to have like second thoughts about what their beliefs were, you know, through catechism or whatever, you know, uh, religious school you, you've gone through as a child? Does, does that happen a lot?
2: I think it happens. Always and invariably. I mean, Abraham Maslow, one of the great or uh, originators of humanistic psychology back in the 1950s even, came up with the notion that you know, everybody is on, a, is on a slowly slow journey of unfolding. All human beings have what he called an actualizing tendency. So everybody does some growing up every day, gl- mm. if only glacially in some cases. So the oldest, coldest, meanest, most stuck-in-his-ways person is still, in theory, every day growing up a little bit. Just because he's alive, whether he wants to or not. So everybody is on a journey of slow unfolding, and you know, I, inevitably, as you get more education, as you look around the world and see how the world does not fit the nice canned idea that you got of what it's supposed to look like growing up from Sunday school, you have to you have to start reinterpreting stuff. Uh, but a lot—it's amazing how a lot of adults don't. They'll still sort of block everything out of their mind that's happened ever since for the last 2,000 years in terms of scientific knowledge and just prefer to believe in something, you know, that was written all that long time ago for children, and they still interpret it as children, even though as adults they're successful career, family, people, and so forth. The mystery of, you know, spiritual evolution is that, It can, you know, a a relatively quote-unquote childish level of religious understanding can coexist with real achievement on normal adult material level of everyday achievement. So it's interesting. But yes, I think everybody grows up a little bit every day, although we can't see it. And people can put off these understandings for a lifetime after a lifetime after a lifetime. But sooner or later, I think we have to reconcile ourselves to the way things really are. Um, Do
1: you think do you think that we're getting there faster now with everything that's going because you know my introduction I said history repeats itself we know that to be the truth we learn history in school you know if you were raised Christian or whatever religion you're raised you know I went through CCD which was the catechism or whatever and I learned all these stories so do you think we're at a point now as a world where we're just looking at things differently or are we stuck is that part of the problem?
2: No, we are we are being forced to look at things differently because of the environmental crisis, uh, the population crisis. Uh, those two things, um, uh, the planet has reached carrying capacity, you might mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, for, I mean, there. Are the, if you look at all eras of history, there, there have always been a certain fringe minority who's saying that the world's going to end tomorrow, mm-hmm. or that Jesus is, is like, like going to come back tomorrow, some great miracles going to happen tomorrow and transform everything. In any period of history, you'll find some people saying that. But the reason today is special is because for the first time ever, environmental problems and population issues um, are causing people to unite morally and ethically as never before. You know, mm. uh, social media has caused there to be a kind of moral consensus around the planet that has never existed before internationally that things have to change. We all have to get on the same page with all these profound issues. All these problems are running into each other like they never used to do before because, you know, we're overpopulated, we polluted too much, we put too much carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, do you think
1: the availability of information... Uh, I'm sorry. I, I was going to say, do you mention the social media and all of? You know, we really do have information at our fingertips. Do you think that helps people navigate better?
2: It's confusing because I think that although it's essential for planetary evolution, on the on the individual level, um, it's kind of disastrous spiritually for um, mm. a lot of individual people because it forces you because it's like there's a very very subtle kind of instant gratification associated with knowing anything anywhere anytime that you want to but i'm having said that yes i do absolutely Um, the 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 global village is causing people to understand things from different parts of the world Mm -hmm. that they never had to grapple with before you know so we all um so many i mean young people today are learning stuff and coming to terms with things which that you know which 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 you know which people like me didn't have to didn't have to confront until we were 50 and 60.
1: and that's i'm sorry go ahead finish i i, I had a thought with that too that these kids are getting yeah. younger but i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt
2: yeah. so but basically because young people are learning these things so soon mm-hmm. and coming to terms with all the insoluble issues and the paradox con, con- paradox is connected with life you know mm. i mean it's our nature. I mean, we love our children more than anything else. They are our lifeblood, dearest, the dearest and dearest things to us, but they're killing us. There are too many of them, you know? Yeah. If there was a way, if, if there was a way to say, okay, I mean, back, back when we hit 2 billion, back in the 1800s or whenever it was, I, I it would have been, would it have been possible for a little voice to speak up in the sound of everybody saying, stop, slow down. No, Mm -hmm. that didn't happen. We just kept going. Demolition Derby, you know. And here we are. <laughs> it's, and it's interesting because of the social media I have to say you
1: know my kids are uh, 18 and soon to be 21 and my 18 year olds his friends we have these really kind of cool discussions it, it blows my mind at times that I'm thinking wow these are 17 and 18 year old kids um, but the one he told me he asked me mrs. women do you do you meditate and I said well yes I do do you meditate and he said yeah I do and and I have to tell you David that it, it gave me pause because I I thought, wow, young and, and and his mom and dad are not like yogis or anything like that. He just found because he has a monkey mind, he's a very, very quick, um, quick-witted quick and a high-spirited young man and I think he found meditation calms him and helps him focus or whatever. So I think we have so much information and I think the kids still haven't been ruined by us that they are open to these different thought processes which I, I have to be honest, I love. I love seeing
2: that. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, there's no question. Um, there's evidence that your brain structure itself is being modified by so much use of social media. It's probably a good thing. I mean, we need to become more cosmopolitan in our understanding of different mm-hmm. cultures and eras mm-hmm. and so forth. Mm -hmm. You know, we need to understand that, you know, somebody from provincial Afghanistan is going to have a very different understanding of our civilization that we have. You know, there is a large degree of truth to say that our corporations are the great oppressors. you know, that, you know, a corporation which has a a larger bank balance than than half the countries in the world Mm -hmm. uh, can dominate the world in very unconstructive ways and so forth. Anyway, there's all kinds of dilemmas and issues that young people are coming to terms with in a way that we didn't, which I didn't, and which they have to come to terms with.
1: Yeah. yeah. They are our and, future.
2: Um, yeah, and uh, if, if you want to have a family today, have one or two, not three or four. That's yeah. The- <laughs>
1: uh, Listen, hey, two were enough for me. Forget the financial. My husband and I, we we teased because my sister had three kids, and I had kids after her. And so we would go to baseball games, and what friend was taking the one because they had the three kids? So my husband and I looked at each other one day, and we said, holy smokes, we're only having two. So we're always in offense mode instead of defense mode, where you're always scrambling to get someone to take the third kid um, or whatever. So yes, it was a conscious a, a, a conscious thought process on our part, plus the financial, um, you know, with college and everything, it's it's yeah. um, insane. Our time is up, David. Believe it or not, I know I feel like it always goes ridiculously fast, uh, but that was uh, interesting for me, and I I appreciate the the three perspective with the literal the the evolution, and then that mystical kind of childlike story, and how we've gone through. As adults now, hopefully we transition and um, think of things more in a metaphorical way than literally, right? But so, some people are still literalists, so it is what yeah, it is. Um, I just I want to share your book again. So, guys, it, if you want more information, and I know uh, David's working on another book, so we'll we'll have another one coming out soon. But his book title is Universal Spiritual Philosophy and Practice um, in 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 textbook for discerning seekers. So please Please go out Not and read
2: pictures. that. I'm sorry. Not the pictures were balloons. Easy reading. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Easy reading it makes it, it. You make make it make sense. Um, so cool book. Also, go to David's website at www.davidlowmspHd.com and Low no is e L-O. Name.
2: No E. I was just going to say that
1: David. Um, no E in Low. It's just L-O-W. But don't worry. I will put David's website on the uh, Web Talk Radio Architect of Change website so you guys can click and go. If you want to speak with David directly, you can also email him at david at worldspirituality.com and get a conversation going with him. Also, if you have, uh, you need my help with anything or you want to share a story with me or you're looking for information and you'd like me to seek a guest on a specific topic, please make sure to reach out to me directly at Connie at com and I will respond uh, directly. David, thank you again for, for being on and taking the time out of the day. I, I always appreciate and enjoy our conversations.
2: It's wonderful to, to, to come on, Connie. It's always a great inspiration to hear you and to be with you on the radio. Well, Take and –
1: Okay, and I, I keep you honest because you you are so far beyond my realm of understanding. So I I make you ground me. Um, to to so if I, if it makes sense to me, I think it makes sense to others.
2: <laughs> okay, I actually like, hope. Okay, I'll take care. I'll see you later. Thank
1: you so much. I hope you guys will join me weekly as we question, build, and discover together how to grow and challenge ourselves so we all embrace change and realize that change is possible and easier than we think. Um, again, thank you for my great guest, David, for sharing inspiration and insight. Again, you guys start looking at things from different perspectives. It just expands your mind, which is what change is based on. You've been listening to Architect of Change with me, your host, Connie Whitman, on webtalkradio.net. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a great week.
0: You've been listening to The Architect of Change with your host, Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates. Thank you for tuning in. We're glad you were here. may change me, but I can't.